Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast, joining me from Zoom, is my friend Rosie Card. Welcome to the podcast, Rosie. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Rosie and I have been friends for several years. Um, she was on episode 31. That's over 300 episodes ag- ago and several years ago. And Rosie's just some a wonderful Latter-day Saint with a very unique life mission and is doing so much good. If you don't, if you haven't connected with Rosie on Instagram, there's a couple accounts, q.nor, N-O-O-R, that has 27,000 followers and your own personal Instagram account that has over 20,000 followers. How do, what is the address of your own personal Instagram account? It's just at Rosie, R-O-S-I-E, card, C-A-R-D. That's it. And those are just great accounts to follow. Um, I encourage you, to, if you haven't connected with Rosie and her work, to connect with Rosie and her work. Um, will you just kind of introduce um, yourself to our listeners? Yeah. Um, so my name is Rosie Card. Like has been said, I'm predominantly from Salt Lake City, Utah. I am the CEO and founder of QNOR, which five years ago started as an LDS temple dress company. And we now sell all types of women's clothing for all types of women. Um, we also have a great selection of some, um, LGBTQ loving and supporting artwork and books and shirts and masks. And that's something that's very important to me. And um, I have a book called Model Mormon. I used to have a podcast called Q More, which hopefully will be coming back this coming year um, or this year. And then I just released a new product. It's a digital download, but it's a temple prep um, guide experience. And yeah, I live in Salt Lake now with my two dogs. That's, I love your book, Model Mormons, if I'm saying the title correctly. And um, I enjoyed reading that book. And maybe I think we talked about that book in episode 31. I love that you started, you're the CEO and founder of this company you've started. Will you introduce your company to our listeners, how to find it and why you created this company, what need it met in the LDS world? Yeah. um, So you can find QNOR at QNOOR.com. And um, the name, I'm like so bummed out now with QAnon stuff because people are like, this has Q thing is getting me in trouble. Um, there's no association with anything QAnon. Um, but it means queen of light. Nor is the Arabic word for light and the Q stands for queen. There is a queen Nor. She's the former queen of Jordan. Um, who she has a fascinating story, an American young woman who married the former king of Jordan. She's a huge advocate for women in and outside of the home, huge humanitarian. I really admire her. Um, but uh, I started QNORM because I realized that there was a pretty big need in the market of temple dresses. Um, everything before QNOR was, I lovingly referred to it as kind of pioneering. Um, 
kind of scratchy polyester fabrics, nothing. I didn't know anyone who said, oh my gosh, I love my temple dress. I feel so beautiful in it. Um, and so I decided that I was going to try to fill that need and solve that problem by making beautiful and comfortable temple dresses. Not that I feel like the temple should be a fashion show, uh, but because I really believe in the science that if a woman is distracted by what she's wearing, if she feels insecure or physically uncomfortable, it actually influences her ability to learn. Um, and that is research that's done in support of like school uniforms and that kind of stuff for a student, female students. Um, and I really believe that. And I've thought, okay, so there's so many things in the temple that someone might feel like concerned about what they're wearing should not be on that list. Um, so I just thought, why don't we make something that's beautiful and comfortable so that as soon as they put it on, they can forget about it um, and focus on things that matter more. And so that's how QNOR started. And that's why. And how's your company doing? Oh, that is a good question. Because I sense um, you're busy. Yeah, I mean, so with 2020, with all temples closed, oh, um, that's and true. I didn't think temple of that. dress sales came to a screeching halt. Oh, I didn't think um, of that, and that has been really difficult. Um, but luckily, there have there are other products that I was planning on releasing, just kind of like um, dresses that were very comfortable. That they felt like they were kind of like PJs, but if you had to jump on a Zoom call, it would look like you're dressed and ready to go. Um, so we have other products that we've sold to kind of keep up and stay open. But my storefront has been closed since March just because there has been such a decrease in the demand for temple dresses that it doesn't make sense for me to pay someone to be sitting in a store when who knows how many people will be coming in. And so it has been a fascinating year, but I feel really, really lucky to say we're doing okay as a small business. That's great. I didn't think about that. That is crazy implications for you. Yeah. Um, I mean, I felt like I, when I started QNOR, I just was like, this is the greatest. Like there's no seasons. I don't have to worry about a spring or a summer or winter launch. And, and temple, Trump, temples will always be open. There's always a demand for them. I just didn't factor in COVID. A worldwide <laughs> pandemic never crossed oh. my mind. <laughs> oh, talk about um, talk about this new temple book then, um, temple prep book. Um, just the background of why you decided to do this. Um, for our listeners, Rosie, I think, often sees needs in the LDS marketplace. Um, marketplace might not be the right word, but just needs that are unfulfilled to make the LDS experience better. And I sense, especially the temple with some of the things you're doing and um, the road for LGBTQ people that are LDS being better. So I assume that this temple prep book is part of that vision you have and recognizing needs. So share with our listeners about that. Yeah. So it's called House of Light. Um, and like I explained, you know, how I saw this need or desire to not have people flustered about what they're wearing in the temple as far as their temple dress. Um, I thought there are more things that we can demystify 
Um, there are more things that might be confusing or anxiety inducing about the temple that are unnecessary. Um, we are seeing more and more from the church videos showing the temple clothing and the temple garments, um, talks by Elder Bednar saying like, People are not prepared enough to go to the temple. We need to talk about this. Um, and in my research, I've found that prophets have been saying that for a lot of years, that like people need to be better prepared for the temple. Um, and I, through my own experience, you know, people were always saying to me like, oh, it's all in the scriptures. And I wanted to be like, where? Like, why is this, why is there not a lesson where all of this is kind of outlined simply for me? that it's, you know, apparently it's in the scriptures, but where? And so I, you know, for the QNOR has been around for about five years. And, and over the course of those five years, I've talked to hundreds of mostly women preparing to go to the temple for the first time or who haven't been in a while because their first time was really upsetting um, or who just went to the temple for the first time. And I've done surveys to figure out do people feel like their temple prep experience was helpful? Um, what do they wish they would have been told before they went to the temple for the first time? And um, rather than just kind of wishing someone from the church, whoever that may be, would create something, um, I just have decided that I would go for it and create my own temple prep experience. And and there are parts of it that are very much for people preparing to go for the first time. Um, there's one section that is a walkthrough experience. So I kind of verbally take your hand and walk you through everything from when you enter the doors to when you leave the temple doors. Um, you're going to first go to a recommend desk and you're going to meet this person and this is their title and they're going to walk you to this room. And this is, I walk them through the entire experience and even give them a heads up like, you might want to go to the bathroom at this point because you're about to go in for, you know, two hours. And I didn't know that. And I really needed to go to the bathroom my whole first time in the temple. Um, and I remember, I remember my mom saying, why didn't you go before? And I said, I had no idea. I wouldn't have an option to later. Like, <laughs> how was I supposed to know? And so that walkthrough experience is obviously helpful for those who haven't been in a long time and feel uncomfortable or haven't been at all. But the book of it is a study of important principles like atonement, the fall, creation, and then all of the temple covenants that we make. And um, it's designed in a way not that I'm trying to, or that I think that I am the fountain of all temple knowledge, and I think I know what everyone needs to know. It's very much designed in a way to give resources, links, scriptures, thoughtful questions to help people connect with their heavenly parents and receive personal revelation. I think if you were to ask most members, what are your temple covenants? They might be able to name a few, but kind of stumble through some of them, but not all of them. And I don't think that's any anyone's fault. I think it's just a lack of resources. You know, you hear them when you're in a session, but you hear a lot of things and it can be hard to remember. Um, and so this is an opportunity to see all the covenants that you make, um, both if you're preparing to make them so that you kind of, there's an element of consent, <laughs> you know what you're heading into. Um, 
and both those who have already made them, but want to just study them and better understand how to live their covenants on the everyday basis. Um, this is a great tool for people wanting to do that. Nothing like this exists. Coming from a YSA bishop, sending lots of people to the temple the first time, Rosie, as yeah. you know, and I think our listeners know, nothing like this exists. Right. And there's a huge need for this. You said some really interesting things. You said, take me by the hand. So mm-hmm. if I'm sending if I'm sending my child or friend to the temple, I love the visual imagery you just created. And if I'm going to the temple myself for the first time, that visual imagery of take me by the hand and just walk me through the physical logistics of what happens. I love you just said, this is, you'll go to a temple recommend desk and this is the name title of that person and this is what they're doing. This is where you go next. And what a wonderful thing because then uh, somebody going to the temple is not thinking about all those logistics. And, yeah, like where and am I going down of, this hallway? And that can become the experience, just the physical logistic, because you're moving around a lot, especially in the Salt Lake Temple. Other temples, mm-hmm. not so much, but I love that. And that increases the chance someone will then focus more on the temple experience versus all the physical logistics, even the bathroom, and helping them understand that they'll be away from the bathroom for two years, uh, two, <laughs> two hours. <laughs> yeah. Um, two hours, you know, that's a really, that's really important. Um, yeah, I, I, I remember being told that my, that my mom would be with me the whole time. And for the most part she was, and that was very comforting. But at the very beginning, as I went through the initiatory process, my mom wasn't there. And I have no frame of reference up until that point in my whole church experience of what in the world is happening right now? Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm suddenly in this small space. So this sweet woman is whispering something to me. And I'm just like, my mind is spinning. Like, am I supposed to be responding? What, what's going on? And so the sacredness or the real richness of yeah. that experience was missed because I just couldn't figure out what was happening. And had someone said, okay, your mom is going to be on this outside of this curtain. This is where you're going to be. Just listen, soak it in. It's going to last like seven minutes. It's yeah. not like just stuff like that. So I had some kind of like ability to kind of put my arms around what was happening um, so that I could feel calmer. So I could listen to in that portion of the temple. Yeah, you said something really interesting there, Rosie. You said even, I've never thought of just telling someone how long the initiatory experience is and why not. And then if you're starting that experience, you have more of a frame of reference for what's happening. So you, as you said, you can focus in on the sacredness. I think that's the word you used. That's just mm-hmm. a great idea. Yeah, and so that was kind of my... Um, that was my hope in creative ha- creating House of Light that I could take some of the things that might cause might be distracting from the important parts of the temple experience and just demystify them and just help people have a calmer um, temple experience and um, and the response has been really wonderful. I think a lot of people have been kind of hungry for something like this. 
And um, it's been really neat to be able to offer that to people. Um, when I was helping the YSAs prepare for the temple, um, and then I'm asking a question of why we can do more than I would, did during these interviews, I would say, I think there's five covenants that you make in the temple, if I remember correctly. <laughs> Sorry, listeners. <if> there's... <laughs> and I would say, um, you know, these five covenants, when you hear them, they'll be generally familiar to you. They're in the scriptures. But in the back of my mind, I there was some lack of, I'm a logical thinker. I thought, you know, you're walking the temple, you're going to commit to these covenants, but you really don't know what they are ahead of time. So talk about what's changed in the church and um, that we're able to talk about these covenants more before someone goes in the temple. And you actually used the word earlier, consent, which I really like. And mm-hmm. um, that has felt really important to me. I mean, I remember a friend who was going to the temple for the first time and she felt a huge amount of anxiety that she was going to go into the temple and she had no idea what it was going to be like. And she was supposed to make promises um, covenants to do certain things or to not do certain things. And she just felt like, well, what if I disagree? Yeah. Like what if I, what if I get in there? Like what is, cause you just have no idea what's going to happen. Um, am I going to be embarrassed? Is it going to be public? Like, is there a way for me to talk about, to talk through issues before I make these promises? And she ended up just going on the internet and finding on some random website the entire um, endowment script and reading it. And she just thought like, I know I'm not supposed to do this, but this is the only way that I feel comfortable making the covenant if I know beforehand what I'm covenanting to. Um, And so I've just thought like, there's, that can't be the right, that can't be this can't be the right way that we're forcing people to kind of go feel like they need to go to those extremes. Um, and I, you know, I also had been told over and over that like it, it's in the scriptures. And I, I remember a BYU, uh, I think it was in my doctrine and covenants class. I had been through the temple and um, my teacher was, he didn't say I'm listing the temple covenants, but he was talking about the principles that we promised to in the covenant without saying that he was. And then the way that he used his voice, it was very clear to everyone who had been to the temple before that that's what we were talking about. And, and so I was like, okay, so it's there. Why can't we say these are the temple covenants? Um, and in my studies, I couldn't find a solid answer. And I felt like there was support for um, the alternative that we can lay them out. Um, and it was just so incredibly <laughs> convenient that um, I think it was like a week and a half before I released House of Light that the church um, listed the temple covenants in the church handbook in a very clear, these are the promises you make in the cov- in the temple. Boom, 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 boom. Um, and so I felt like, okay, awesome. I'm, I'm like, I'm on the right track. Um, I wasn't, I was still going to go forward with it, even if they hadn't released that, but that felt very validating that, um, that, that I was spot on with that, that it's okay for us to talk about them. I love that. And I don't know if you want to mention Elder Bednar's talk, because I think he talked about the covenants and 
sort of laid some more framework for what it sort of fits very well with what you're doing. Yeah. Um, so I cite this talk by Elder Bednar. I want to say it was like a year ago. I could look up the direct reference for you, but um, he says that the most important temple prep will be within the walls of our own home. Um, and that people simply just need, there's more that we can say. Um, and that we're really nervous to talk about it and we're unsure what we yeah. can and cannot say. Um, but he says, basically, like, you can say more than you think. Um, and my approach has been the temple ceremony, the endowment ceremony is very specific about what we can and can it, what we can't share. Like it says, don't say this part. <laughs> um, don't talk about this part. Don't reveal this part. Like it very clearly spells out what we should not share. Um, and then in my mind and from what I've seen from talks like Elder Bednar's recent talk and others is that as long as we are speaking with reverence um, and in proper tones and places, that next to everything else, we can talk about uh and i and i know that not everyone agrees with that and that's okay um but i feel like there's support in leadership comment um and i just i can't see a good reason why we wouldn't be okay with talking about the temple i love that and um i just um uh, that talk that I remember is just the way you talked about it. He talked about all the things we can talk about, including the covenants, which are in the handbook. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty consi- it's pretty clear message from the church that letting people know what the covenants are ahead of time is sort of part of this consent word. Then you know what you're getting into and the things we mm-hmm. can't reveal. And I think we've had a culture that's been around, this is sacred and we don't talk about it. And so there's been just this kind of, you know, people that are trying to do the right thing end up not talking about the temple. <laughs> and right. people then have aren't prepared as much as I think our leaders would like them to be prepared. And perhaps our, and maybe more importantly, our heavenly parents. And what you're doing is fulfilling a real need. Because I think everybody would want people to have a good first experience at the temple. And I think we can be mature enough about our faith in the temple and recognize there's really faithful Latter-day Saints that do not have a good first experience of the temple. And, Absolutely. There's and, a lot of them. And instead of putting that on them and whatever language we'd say, I think we need to recognize we need to do better and there's a need to do this better. And the work you're doing is very needed. Thank you. I just, I love the idea of someone going to the temple for the first time. And every time they make a new covenant in the endowment session, um, they have spent time in the recent weeks studying that topic. So law of obedience. They're not just promising to keep the law of obedience, but they've been thinking about what does that mean in my life? You know, how can I, what do I need to change in my life to be more obedient? How have I been blessed in the past to be a more obedient that when I've chosen obedience, like, just that they, when they go in to make that covenant, they already have this well of understanding to draw from of what the law of obedience means to them. And I feel like 
when they can do that, that just makes that covenant so much more real and more significant rather than just a line that you're agreeing to. It's a real principle that they understand and that they relate to and they know what that covenant is to them personally. So that makes me really excited that people can have that opportunity now. That's cool, Rosie. Because I'm thinking back on temple prep and sending the YSAs and our own kids to temple prep. And it usually, I don't have that manual in front of me, but my impression was the YSAs went into temple prep thinking they would get some of the things you're talking about. And it was mostly, which is a good thing, teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ um, Mm -hmm. and what our teachings are. And, but it, a lot of the YSAs left that experiencing, I know more about the gospel of Jesus Christ, but I don't know more about the upcoming temple experience. Um, but yeah, yeah that but, was a common response I got too. It was just like, okay, so my temple prep experience <laughs> told me that this has happened for a long time, but I don't know like what else, what is the this? What, what is it? What am I really preparing to do? But you said something I've never thought before, and that is the idea of knowing a covenant and all. I'm still sticking with five. Is that right, Rosie? Do you know how many covenants mm-hmm. are there? It's the law of obedience, the law of sacrifice, the law of chastity, um, the law of the gospel. And now that I'm on the spot, I'm... Consecration? It shows, it shows, yeah, law of consecration. Yeah. So there you go. And I'm a Salt Lake City temple worker, memorized the whole endowment. And I, I'm glad you, we both worked together to get the five. Absolutely. Um, but what a great idea if I'm studying the law of obedience, and I know that's one of the covenants that I'm going to make that maybe for a week, if I've got five weeks before the temple, I spend a week. And maybe you talk about this in, in your guide of preparing for these specific covenants and ways to do that. And so then when you're in the endowment and you're taking on that covenant, you've had a period of time to prepare and research and understand. And to me, that just puts you on a whole different level instead of hearing the covenant for the first time and kind of processing it. You're talking, you're thinking mentally about how to live that covenant and the mm-hmm. blessings that come from living that covenant. Wow. That's cool, yeah. Rosie. I'm excited about it. I really think that it can lead to a pretty rich experience. How do people get this guide? The House of Light? Um, So it's just available on my website, qnor.com, in our books section, and you just pay for it, and it's an immediate download. So you receive an email with a PDF. Um, A lot of people have asked, am I going to do a physical version? Um, People, you are 100% allowed to print it off. People have taken the file to FedEx and received a spiral-bound copy. Cool. Um, I'm keeping it digital myself because a huge part of it is links to scriptures and videos and talks and resources that would just be lost if it was a physical version. Um, So that's kind of the importance of it being a digital process. I love that. And I love the way you've got links. And I think you're just, one of the advantages of you doing this, Rosie, is you were part of this generation that's most of the people I think that are preparing for the temple for the first time are your age. Mm-hmm. Um, and so from a technology standpoint and a media deliverable standpoint, 
you would know how your generation is consuming media better than somebody my age. So I love the way you're doing that. Thank um, you. That's cool. Um, do you want to talk any more? Uh, uh, just a thought. I remember I'm thinking back to temple prep days, and I used to tell my kids in the wise days that, you know, in academia, you do all this studying and then you take the test. And that kind of ends the learning. And I've always, and I taught them that the temple, going to the temple for the first time kind of kicks off the learning and you spend the rest of your life learning about the temple. But I think what you're doing is actually modifying what I said. And I would probably say it this way, if, you know, there is real temple prep. And if you go to House of Light, um, that really kicks off the learning or whatever temple prep you tried to choose to do. And that kicks off the learning. So the endowment experience is a much more fulfilling and perhaps um, just a more fulfilling spiritual experience that then the learning continues. But I think you've moved the learning um, away from what I would said in the past, which starts with actually going to the temple and move that backwards, which makes the going to the temple for the first time a much more enriching experience. Yeah, I think like in my mind, it's like there, I don't think there's a specific um, list of these are the 10 or the 20 or the 50 things you're supposed to learn from the temple. Um, and I, I don't really think that for me, I don't feel like there's some secret that I'm trying to figure out. Like, what are they saying? What do they mean? What does that symbolism mean? For me, the temple is a beautiful place to connect my heavenly parents. And just like I believe that they can speak to, you know, they spoke to Moses, how, you know, he's using the, his tool was his staff, um, or Joseph Smith, his tool was like a seer stone. Um, you know, prophets of past had these tangible objects to help them receive personal revelation. And we have the tangible object of the scriptures to help us receive personal revelation. But I believe that they can also speak to us through, you know, inspired books and music and art um, and nature and the temple. And I, I just think it's a great place to go to connect with your heavenly parents and that they will teach you whatever you need to know. And that the temple script um, and endowment can be one of those physical tools that they teach you through. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, I think the ideal is that we are, the learning starts the moment we're born. Um, and the temple is just a new tool, a beautiful, peaceful tool, um, that we have at our fingertips to connect with them and to learn what they would have us know as individuals. You know, that's a good really thoughtful segment. I think sometimes when I go to the temple, I, I get consumed with the mechanics of the temple and the wording of the temple and trying to learn about the temple and what the symbolism means. And I think all that is important, but mm -hmm. um, what you just said is sort of like, maybe sometimes it's good to kind of set that aside and just be in the temple to get personal revelation for you and mm -hmm. through your heavenly parents, because you're in that sacred place 
for your future. And I maybe sometimes I underestimate the importance of personal revelation that it can occur in the temple because I get kind of focused on the mechanics. And the and since I'm trying to, since I'm a Salt Lake City temple wor- worker, I'm very aware of the dialogue and and practicing the dialogue and making sure I can deliver it, sometimes, hopefully word perfect at times. And I perhaps that's, that's okay, but I like what you said that maybe sometimes we get could get out of that mind could get out of that world at times to just sit there in a meditation, quiet, deeply personal experience in that sacred place to get personal revelation for us and others from our heavenly parents. Yeah, I it's been helpful to me, especially as the wording in the temple has changed. Um, I went to the temple for the first time over 10 years ago. Um, and the, there were parts that I heard and I just was like, "Mm, what? I don't, that doesn't sit right with me. Like I, I don't, where has that been taught to me throughout the gospel of Jesus Christ? Um, and rather than letting myself, you know, rather than beating myself up that I didn't like it, (laughs) Um, or really focusing on it that, oh, that means that there's a, you know, this big problem, maybe everything is bad in the temple because I don't like these parts. I just let myself be like, "Mm, I don't really get that part. Um, And then what was it? Two or three years ago, the temple script had some pretty significant changes in relation to women and those parts were gone. And I think that was very validating to a lot of people that didn't like those parts, but also very confusing to people who had kind of like stretched or twisted themselves into ways to make, make those parts make sense. Um, so it's been helpful to me to understand that like those things change and they have changed. Even the history of the temple robes, like there used to be a, a blue um, robe, which Hugh Nibley has talked about in some of his books, and there's even diagrams and pictures in his book. Um, even our the temple robes have changed, and and so those nitty gritty parts to me, I, um, I just allow a looser grasp of them. And as a patron, um, I just try to focus most on personal revelation. Um, but of course, I mean, I, when I was a temple worker, it was very That's important. That's right. You were a temple worker. Understand. Yeah. Um, I was, um, gosh, maybe like six years ago in a Salt Lake temple for a short time. Um, but it was important to, you know, learn the words as we were instructed and to deliver them as instructed. So I definitely think there's a place for that. Um, but I also think an understanding that it changes. It has changed and I'm sure it will continue to change. And we've even had a recent change during COVID. So I just, I don't try to hold on to those things so tightly because I understand that they change. Rosie, you bring up um, a good point and a chance to teach a principle about the temple dialogue and that that indeed has changed and may continue to change. And there were members um, that have been uncomfortable about some things, the temple dialogue in the past, and some or all of that has been changed for some or some members. Um, But to teach the principle, I'd like to share a story about a friend of mine who several decades ago was uncomfortable 
Faithful Latter-day Saint with some of the temple dialogue and opened up to a local leader about that. And in that vulnerable moment, according to my friend, the local leader made my friend feel unfaithful when he, when that local leader um, said terminology, well, that's the way it was exactly revealed to the Prophet Joseph Smith. And my friend just felt like um, that was a call to get in line. There was no space to sort of have some uncomfortable feelings about the temple, and my friend has not been back to the temple since. Um, the actual part of the temple that was concerning to him was not causing him not to go to the temple, but the reaction of the local leader was kind of a deal-breaker for my friend. And that concern of my friend has been resolved in subsequent adjustments. So I don't be critical of that local leader, but I want to teach a principle that that I when someone opens up with something they're uncomfortable about in the church and the temple dialogue or other parts of the church, I think we just need to sit with them in and give them okay to be uncomfortable because that may be all they need to continue to fully participate in the church, just that we validate how they feel. And it is possible that down the road, something they're uncomfortable will be resolved in a future adjustment as the restoration's an ongoing process um, obviously, my the goal, the principle behind there is to keep people connected with the gospel of Jesus Christ and to really honor Elder Cook's um, quote from conference, um, unity and diversity. And there may be diversity in how people feel about certain aspects of our church as they continue to be faithful Latter-day Saints, but let's find unity in diversity. Shifting gears a little bit, you know, we, there's a lot of listeners that on this podcast that are perhaps trying to find a way to continue to stay in the church. You know, they're uncomfortable with church history. They're uncomfortable with the role of women. They're uncomfortable with LGBTQ. Um, but there's things they're very comfortable with, and but they're just trying to figure out a way to stay in the church. That's They're not usually, well, in some cases, some are trying to find a way to leave the church, but the majority of the people I meet with in that space are finding working to find a way to authentically stay in the church um, and reconcile all the complexities of some of the issues that they're facing. Do you, will you speak to that, just how you navigate that or any advice to people that reach out to you that are trying to just navigate that road? Yeah, I would say, first I would say like, I feel you. Um, it's, it's so, it's so difficult. Um, and and I'm straight, <laughs> you know, like I, I can, can't imagine how difficult it is for LGBTQ members. Um, but like it is, I just would want to validate that feeling of it's hard. Um, and sometimes it feels like too much, but um, I was actually recently talking to my therapist about this and she shared with me a piece from the gospel of thomas which is one of the books that was not in, didn't make it past the nicene creed um and but i really love the gospel of thomas and there's i'll read this section um it says jesus said if those who lead you say See, the kingdom is in the sky. Then the birds of the sky will precede you. If they say to you, it is in the sea, then the fish will precede you. 
Rather, the kingdom in the kingdom is inside of you, and it is outside of you. When you come to know yourself, then you will become known, and you will realize that it is you who are the sons of the living Father. It is, but if you will not know yourselves, you will dwell in poverty, and it is you who are the poverty. And that felt very like healing balm to my soul in that moment when that was shared with me um, that the kingdom of God is inside of me. And um, my goal here on earth is to build the kingdom of God, to build myself, to become more like Jesus Christ. Um, And there are so many ways to do that. And my way, my path is different than every single other person's path. Um, and just trying to remember that my heavenly parents love me and support me and will be with me every step of the way. Um, and that like, I cannot lose myself in their eyes. You know what I mean? Like I can't, they, I'm not, I'm not lost to them ever. They always know where I am. They always know what I need. Um, and just keeping my mind focused on that is so comforting and brings so much more peace than thoughts about trying to figure out where do I fit in this massive organization and what do I do when this organization I love does things that I disagree with. And um, those thoughts lead to a lot of confusion and fear. Um, But thoughts of my heavenly parents um, and their closeness always lead to peace. That's a great segment. I think you kind of answered this, but why do you stay in the church? Um, I stay in the church because I deeply believe the fundamental, the fundamentals. Um, and because it is a huge pillar in my life. Um, and because so much good has come into my life through those fundamental teachings. Um, and when I say fundamentals, I don't mean like for the strength of you pamphlet. I mean like the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe that there are lots of ways that God and Heavenly Mother uh, are reaching out to their children all over this world. And there are lots of names for their truths. Um, and the gospel of Jesus Christ and the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is is how I've found them um, and how I've connected with them. Um, And yeah, it's just, it's a huge part of me. It's a great answer. And it's very consistent with my answer, just the beautiful restored doctrine that came through the restoration and this, this plan of salvation and that I can have a personal relationship with a, with heavenly parents, heavenly father and a heavenly mother. Um, talk about um, Heavenly Mother and just um, any thoughts you have about how we, you know, we've, I think you're aware and our listeners are aware we've, we, you know, she's, we've kind of created a culture that we don't talk about Heavenly Mother. She's too sacred. And as I listen to especially younger people, men and women, there's a feeling that, you know, that there's just a feeling that that doesn't quite resonate with them. And we need to talk about heavenly mother more share any yeah. thoughts you have on that subject. Oh, I could talk about heavenly mother and this topic for days, but um, 
there's a really great study that was done at BYU called A Mother There. So if you search BYU, A Mother There, um, where they kind of worked through all of the general authority comments and talks that reference and references to a heavenly mother in hopes of figuring out like what is true and what is cultural myth. Um, and the first reference to this idea that she's too sacred to talk about was given by a seminary teacher, a seminary teacher in some sort of panel situation was asked, you know, why don't we talk about her more? And that was offered as, you know, maybe she's just too sacred to talk about. That was just this one person's pontificating idea um, that kind of we latched onto and it kind of became the story. Um, but there's no general authority comment or reference to really support that. Um, nor is that really in line with our doctrine. Um, there are incredibly sacred things, you know, our most sacred things being the atonement of Jesus Christ, um, Heavenly Father, um, all things that we talk about constantly as we should. Um, they should be the main thing we talk about, um, very sacred and very respectfully, but we talk about them. Um, so in my opinion, it's, she's too sacred not to talk about. Cool. Um, we teach that mothers are of great importance on this earth. And if earthly mothers are important, surely our heavenly mother is incredibly important. Um, and I know a lot of people say like, oh, well, there's not a, real, a lot of reference to her in the scriptures. And we have to remember that scriptures have gone through editing and, you know, books just like the book of Thomas have been removed things that weren't supportive of narratives that men at that time wanted to teach were removed um but we also don't have a lot on heavenly father like i think we have the actual words of god the father is it like five times interesting um and often what he's saying the words that we do have are just you know this is my son hear him um, but we feel like we know God and we have this deep relationship with him because we talk about him so much. And I think the same is true with Heavenly Mother. Um, the more that I've talked about her and read poetry and, and looked at art and just great resources that I'm seeing pop up more and more over the last three years, uh, I feel closer to her. And I feel like I know her and I'm, I'm building a relationship with her. Um, and I just like fully believe that two divine, loving, all-knowing heavenly parents are better than one. Like, why would, why would we not want to be close to our heavenly mother just as we are our heavenly father? Um, can we te- share with our listeners our church's policy, or I assume it's a policy about can we pray directly to heavenly mother? And if, and then just share with our listeners your thoughts on that or the church's standing position on that. Um, so this, there was a talk by Gordon Hinckley where um, he references this early on in his talk. I believe it's from the 90s. Um, and he says that praying to Heavenly Mother, it, he says, I feel is misguided. Um, and that's basically all we have on that topic. Um, and he says we should pray in the manner which was 
we have example by the Savior and he prayed to his father. And I'm okay with that. Um, but I, I am also talking to God as I'm driving down the road and I'm talking to, you know, God, the father, as I'm working. Um, and, and I'm also really okay with talking to my heavenly mother in the past. I've said like, yeah, I might dial my dad, but I say, Hey, can you put mom on speaker speakerphone? Cause I need to talk to both of you. Um, and that's kind of how I might uh, approach prayer is I address or I dial heavenly father. Uh, but I ask to be put on, you know, speakerphone of sorts. Um, but also <clears throat> I'm, I'm okay with just talking to her. Um, and my mom, my earthly mom and my earthly dad are very different people and they offer very different insights, both because one's a man and one's a woman and just because they're two different humans. Um, and I believe the same is true from my heavenly parents, that they're different. Um, and I believe that my heavenly mother has, um, that there's some things I want to talk to my mom about. And just like there's some things I want to talk to my dad about. And I I choose to believe that they're okay with that and that neither one's going to get jealous of the other or, you know, get mad at me for that. And if they do, I guess we'll have to address that later. But I, I choose to believe that it's okay to talk to my mom. Yeah, I'm with you on that. And perhaps we'll get just like in the temple. Um, we've, as you talked earlier in this podcast, the changing dialogue will and more understanding about what we can talk about before we go to the temple. Perhaps there'll be more direction about yeah. our relationship with Heavenly Mother. And I <laughs> kind of uh, smile when you say, I can't imagine getting up to heaven and meeting Heavenly Mother and her being upset with you for talking to her. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, I'm really mad you were trying to draw closer to me as a way to return so, back to me. I just, um, that doesn't seem to make sense. You're good at kind of pulling us out of sometimes the the procedure and seeing the big picture and brings a smile to my face. Listeners, if you want to know more about this subject, we did a podcast episode 273, Seeking Heavenly Mother, um, with Kayla Bach, Emily Peck, and Charlotte Schultz. They started a, a, a website, seekingheavenlymother.com, and they, like Rosie, have insights that are helpful. And as a male and a father of sons, four sons, I kind of thought this Heavenly Mother thing, sorry, that's terrible to call it a Heavenly Mother thing because that's our sacred Heavenly Mother. I thought this is kind of a good thing for the women of the church. Um, I'm still going to have this relationship with Heavenly Father, and I've recognized how wrong that thinking is. Mm -hmm. um, that both of us that are male and female here on earth need both of those influences in our life to help us there are attributes from Heavenly Mother that I believe help me be a better man, a better father, better husband, better disciple. Um, so I've liked having both of those influences in my life, just like my earthly parents have taught me things um, that have helped me because of their, one being male and one being female, and the different attributes and different perspectives. So I've loved, that's kind of my evolution a little bit. I've also done some podcasts with, um, women that have been um, victims um, or survivors of rape um, where they've lost trust in men, including kind of indirectly Heavenly Father and wondering why Heavenly Father didn't protect them. 
in these situations where they prayed to be safe. And, um, and their relationship with Heavenly Mother was kind of helped sustain them through these really complicated um, situations that came into their life. And that was really eye-opening me for me, Rosie, recognizing this beautiful doctrine we have that can keep someone connected with deity, even if there's some some really trauma involved in an earthly experience with one gender or the other. Yeah, I really love that. I really, a lot of the quotes that we do have about Heavenly Mother um, emphasize that she is of equal power, authority, and importance as Heavenly Father. Um, and unfortunately, um, in our world, women just aren't seen as in, as important. And so we have this divine example of two equal partners um, to, and I just think that's the perfect example to strive for. Um, and I think it's especially important as, you know, disciples of Jesus Christ that we, that we teach the, the words um, and the comfort and the influence of our heavenly mother are just as important. And I don't think heavenly father would balk at that for one minute. That's really, you know, I'm thinking about some of the mistakes I've made as a husband and a father. Um, unrighteous dominion and DNC 121, some of the pitfalls I've fallen into. And I've wondered if I had, this isn't excusing my behavior, but um, if I'd had, and this is part of improving, if I'd had more of an understanding of Heavenly Mother and Heavenly Father and just what you're describing, which is true, this equal role and I had that in my earthly parents, which I generally had, and also had that in deity. It would, uh, it would help all of us um, in our relationships with men and women look at each other as equals um, mm-hmm. and eliminate some of the sexism that is probably still part of my life um, because of some of these sort of things that then influence how I look at women and how I look at the world, and I add to people's burdens at times. So that's... You know, and I'm hopeful for the future and 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 our way and ability to help reduce sexism and, and muting women's voices and some of the things that have been part of our culture. Um, other, and is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? Actually, I had a question for you. What's your favorite artwork as far as um, depicting heavenly parents? Do you, and maybe share with our listeners those pieces and if they're available at your website. My favorite artwork. I mean, there are a lot of really great artists that are doing things to depict her. Um, one artist that I really love, um, her Instagram handle is etta.k.art. It's E-T-T-A-K-A-Y dot art. Um, she's actually working on kind of a book highlighting women in the scriptures, but some of her original pieces on her Instagram account show um, Henley mother and in all different types of forms. Um, and we also, I also just recently released a little coloring book for boys and girls um, depicting Henley mother in a way to try to make her feel more accessible and more real to children. Um, but um, etake.art, I think, does a really beautiful job. But there are a lot of great, great um, women artists depicting Heavenly Mother more, which I really love. And it's interesting, the role of art in our culture to, 
open conversations um, that we may not be having at times. That's mm-hmm. certainly true with some of the LGBTQ artwork, Rainbow Jesus. Share with us, our listeners, some of your favorite LGBTQ artwork. Oh, yeah. Well, I, um, I'm i a really good, big fan of J. Kirk Richards' pieces. Same. Um, Rainbow Jesus. Um, and then also um, the We Have a Rainbow House piece. I really love that as well, which is one of his newer pieces that just shows a family um, representing the rainbow and with their arms wrapped around a rainbow child. Um, that to me is just so, so sweet. I love those um, too. And I just love the role of artwork that creates visual imagery in my mind that maybe causes me to reassess some of the assumptions I've made or help me do better to be more inclusive and be more consistent with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Anything Mm -hmm. else you'd like to share with our listeners before we close? No, I think that's good. I'm just so grateful for this opportunity to chat with you. Well, thank you. On behalf of um, Richard Osler and Rosie Card, we're sure grateful for Rosie's work. And I hope you can all feel our hands on your back, Rosie. You have a really unique, wonderful life mission. You're doing much good. You're Um, a wonderful human, but you also have this wonderful marketing and business mind and the ability to kind of see in the future and recognize needs and, and then just go and do stuff that no one else has done before. So keep doing that. Um, Thank you. And just feel our hands on your back. We believe in you. We support you. You have a wonderful, unique life mission. And on behalf of all of our listeners, this is Richard and Rosie signing off from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. Mm -hmm.